0: Secure yourself to heaven, hold on tight, the night has come. Fasten up your earthly burdens, you have just begun.
1: I fall off my chair And I'm wondering How i get down the stairs Clowns to the left of me Jokers to the right Here I am stuck in the middle With you Yes I'm stuck in
2: from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK, 90.7 FM, people-powered radio in L.A., up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ and in Cottage Grove on Queso. in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, New Orleans, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX, Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for your listening convenience on the internets. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman. Your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Desi Doyen and I are on the road this week. But for some reason we thought it appropriate to re-air our 2017 Inauguration Day special as repackaged for July 4th, Independence Day 2018. It still seems somehow appropriate. Enjoy.
3: That brings me to the second mode of civil disobedience. There's a time when the operation of the machine becomes so odious, makes you so sick at heart that you can't take part. You can't even passively take part. And you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels, upon the levers, upon all the apparatus, and you've got to make it stop. And you've got to indicate to the people who run it, to the people who own it, that unless you're free, the machine will be prevented from working at all.
4: One of the great things about our democracy is it expresses itself in all sorts of ways, and that includes people protesting. Uh, I've been the subject of protests during the course of my eight years, and I suspect that there's not a president in our history that at some point hasn't been subject to uh, these protests. Um, So uh, I would not advise people who feel strongly uh, or are concerned about some of the issues that have been raised during the course of the campaign. I wouldn't advise them uh, to be silent. What I would advise, what I advised before the election and what I will continue to advise after the election is that. Elections matter, voting matters, organizing matters, being informed on the issues matter. And uh, what I consistently say to young people, I say it in the United States, but I'll say it here in Germany and across Europe, do not take for granted our systems of government and our way of life.
5: Burke once said that the only way evil can prosper is for good men to do nothing. America has just elected a fascist and the best thing that good people in Ireland can do is to ring him up and ask him if it's okay to still bring the shamrock on St. Patrick's Day. I'm embarrassed by the reaction of the Irish government to what's happened in America. And I don't use the word fascist lightly. What else would you call somebody who threatens to imprison his political opponents? What else would you call somebody who threatens to not allow people of a certain religious faith into their country? What would you say, or how would you describe somebody who is threatening to deport 10 million people? What would you say about somebody who says that the media is rigged, judiciary is rigged, the political system is rigged, and then he wins an election, and the best we can come out with is a phone call to say, is it still okay to bring the shamrock? Can the government not understand what's happening? We are an, at an ugly international crossroads. What's happening in Britain is appalling. What's happening across Europe is appalling. It has echoes from the 1930s, and America, the most c- powerful country in the world, has just elected a fascist. And the best it can come out with from government spokesperson is, well, we have to talk about foreign direct investment. We have to be c- conscious of, of American investments in Ireland. When are we going to have the moral courage to speak in terms other than economy all the time and to realise what is happening? I am absolutely frightened for what is happening to this world and what is happening to our inability to stand stand up against it. I want to ask you, Leader, to ask the Minister for Foreign Affairs into this House and to ask him how we are supposed to deal with this monster who's just been elected president of America. Because I don't think any of us in years to come should look back at this period and not say that we did everything in our power to call out for what it is.
0: I love you all, but you'll have to forgive me. I've lost my voice in screaming and lamentation this weekend. And I have lost my mind sometime earlier this year, so I have to read. Um, thank you, Hollywood Foreign Press. Just to pick up on what Hugh Laurie said, you and all of us in this room really belong to the most vilified segments in American society right now. Think about it. Hollywood, foreigners, and the press. (laughs) But who are we? And, And... You know, what is Hollywood, anyway? It's just a bunch of people from other places. I was born and raised and educated in the public schools of New Jersey. Viola was born in a sharecropper's cabin in South Carolina, came up in Central Falls, Rhode Island. Sarah Paulson was born in Florida, raised by a single mom in Brooklyn. Sarah Jessica Parker was one of seven or eight kids from Ohio. Amy Adams was born in Vincenzo, Veneto, Italy and Natalie Portman was born in Jerusalem, where are their birth certificates? <laughs> and the beautiful Ruth Negga was born in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, raised in, London, in no, in Ireland, I do believe. And she's here nominated for playing a small town girl from Virginia. Brian Gosling Like all the nicest people is Canadian (laughs) And Dev Patel was born in Kenya raised in London is here for playing an Indian raised in Tasmania So Hollywood is crawling with outsiders and foreigners and if we kick them all out You'll have nothing to watch but football and mixed martial arts which are not the arts they gave me three seconds to say this. So, An actor's only job is to enter the lives of people who are different from us and let you feel what that feels like. And there were many, many, many powerful performances this year that did exactly that. Breathtaking, compassionate work. But there was one performance this year that stunned me. It, it sank its hooks in my heart. Not because it was good. It was, there was nothing good about it. But it was effective, and it did its job. It made its intended audience laugh and show their teeth. It was that moment when the person asking to sit in the most respected seat in our country imitated a disabled reporter, someone he outranked in privilege, power, and the capacity to fight back. It, it kind of broke my heart. And I saw it, and I still can't get it out of my head because it wasn't in a movie. It was real life. And this instinct to humiliate, when it's modeled by someone in the public platform, by someone powerful, it filters down into everybody's life because it kind of gives permission for other people to do the same thing. Disrespect invites disrespect. Violence incites violence When the powerful use their position to bully others we all lose Okay, this brings me to the press We need the principled press To hold power to account to to call them on the carpet for every outrage That's why That's why our founders enshrined the press and its freedoms in our constitution. So I only ask the famously well-heeled Hollywood foreign press and all of us in our community to join me in supporting the committee to protect journalists, because we're going to need them going forward and they'll need us to safeguard the truth.
6: No matter who you are, you have the First Amendment right to peacefully assemble and protest in public spaces, and photograph and videotape the police or anything else in a public space. Here's the deal. Public spaces include streets, sidewalks, and public parks. Private property owners can set rules for public entry, like a theater saying no cell phones. The right to take photos does not give you the right to go places you're not otherwise allowed, record audio of other people's private conversations, trespass, or interfere with police engaged in legitimate law enforcement operations. Police officers may not confiscate or demand to view your digital photos or videos without a warrant, or delete your photos or videos under any circumstances. If you're stopped or detained for taking photos, be polite, don't resist. Ask, am I free to go? If the officer says no, you are being detained. And if you are detained, ask what crime you're suspected of committing. Until you ask to leave, being stopped is considered voluntary. Remind the officer that taking photographs is your First Amendment right and does not constitute reasonable suspicion of criminal activity. If you believe any right listed here has been violated, contact your local ACLU. Know your rights. Let's begin tonight
3: with a major protest in Spain.
1: During the unveiling of a Donald Trump statue at Wexford Museum in Madrid, a bare-breasted activist from the feminist group FEMIN staged a protest. The protest revealed a slogan in English suggesting that patriarchy should be grabbed by the genitals.
6: patriarchy by the patriarchy by
3: the There are times when I don't know if I'm happy or sad about a Trump presidency, Because this is one of those where you like, more protests, but now they're topless? (laughs) It's like a weird thing, you know? It's it's like a boob protest. And and by the way, by the way, I just want to say, kudos to whoever it was that uh, made that statue because it's super realistic. Look at it. Yeah, it doesn't look human at all, which is just like Trump. It's just like Trump. If you think about it, Donald Trump's the first famous person to have a wax figure that looks more real than him. I bet Trump's foundation has already purchased that statue and he's gonna sneak it into the White House and then go on vacation for four years. Just leave it there. And it'll do a better job. Uh, but you know what, you know what? My favorite part of this protest was for me, the poor guy from the wax museum trying to cover that woman up. Look at him, he tries to put a shirt on her. When it doesn't work, he tries balloons. He's <laughs> like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with the balloons. Did not cover the balloons? How perfect is that, by the way? I bet first he tried to block her with uh, like, you know, he tried with balloons, it didn't work. Then he was like, let's try these cantaloupes. No, that doesn't work. Oh, two jugs of milk? No. Another topless woman? Ah, something has to work. Honestly though, this was a, it was a really effective protest, you know? I'm impressed because this woman, this protester, wrote her message on her boobs. And that's really the only way to get Donald Trump to read anything. (laughs) The CIA should start writing his intelligence briefings on boobs. (laughs) I promise you now, he will want to see that every day. And he'll know right away when they come into his office with really big news, he'll be like, "Uh uh-oh, double Ds, what's going on in the Middle East? (laughs) Something's wrong, something's wrong. Donald Trump?
7: you're asking Americans to trust you with their future. Let me ask you, have you even read the United States Constitution? I will, I will gladly lend you my copy in this document. Look for the words, look for the words liberty and equal protection of law. Have you ever been to Arlington Cemetery? Go look at the graves of brave patriots who died defending United States of America. You will see all faiths, genders, and ethnicities you have sacrificed nothing and no one we cannot solve we cannot solve our problems
1: by building walls like many americans i have spent the last twelve hours refreshing the canadian immigration website which (laughs) keeps crashing, so I am panicking because melanin doesn't rub off. But look, Donald Trump won. We gotta take the L. He spoke to people who felt ignored by Washington and wanted their jobs back, and I understand. I don't quite get how you get there by electing a guy who collects bankruptcies the way Michael Jordan collects rings, but okay, they deserve to be heard, and last night we heard them. But I can't forget something else I heard. On December 7, 2015, Donald Trump called for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States. I remember that date because it's the birthday of the worst day of my life. Seriously, how is that not instantly disqualifying? Even if that's not why most people voted for him, open racism should just be a deal breaker. You personally may not be a racist, sexist, xenophobe, but that comes with the package. Right? Like, if a car
3: comes with heated seats, you may not want them, but you'll take them. Yeah, but then if the seats go, hey, don't sit on me, camel jockey. You should be like, hey, I don't want the car. Makes sense. So if you take that deal, what you're telling me is, hey, man, I don't hate you. I just don't care about you. I hear you, Hassan. I hear you. Uh, But Islamophobia in America is nothing new. You've encountered this many, many times since 9-11. Have I pretended to be Puerto Rican a few times since
1: 9-11? Glad (laughs) he. But it used to be when I walked on a plane, I could feel the stares and suspicion and it sucked. But at least I knew the president of the United States had my back, mostly because he's also a Muslim. We can say it now. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He's Muslim, okay? Who, can't, who gives a shit? But now, that C-21B calling the flight attendant, trying to get me thrown off the plane. Now that guy is the president. Plus, I also think he's groping the lady sitting next to him. And look, I don't want people thinking like, "Oh, oh, that poor little Muslim boy, that little brown boy, your life is tough. No, it's all of us. It's not just Muslims or Mexicans or African Americans. It is all of us, whether it's your citizenship, marriage rights, freedom of speech, Donald Trump is gonna move on them like a bitch. That was
3: his line. You just quoted his line. Yeah, that's what he said. You you, you know, though, there is is a chance, and I know it's weird to say this, there is a chance that maybe he'll end up being more moderate. Oh, diet xenophobia, that's cool.
1: Low-calorie racism, mmm, like, what? <laughs> this is a true story. My mom is out of the country right now. She's visiting my grandma. And she's a U.S. citizen, she's lived here 30 years. She's on the phone with me last night, and she's like, "Hassan, I don't know if I can come back until February. Am I gonna be able to get back into the country? And the fact that I can't tell her yes with 100% certainty is heartbreaking. And there are a lot of people telling me, hey man, don't worry, Trump's not really gonna ban all Muslims, but I don't know, man, that is my mom. And I need her back home because I love her and she owes me $300. Coloradans are divided, and today more than 150 people showed up to a community meeting with many wanting to ask Congressman Mike Kaufman about it. As Nine News reporter Nelson Garcia shows us, more people showed up than they planned for it, leaving dozens waiting
8: for hours with no results. All they wanted to do, and there
6: were hundreds of people here,
8: was go into the community room at the Aurora Public
6: Library. From the to meet
8: with Congressman Mike Kaufman.
6: Representative didn't
9: have a plan. They expected just a small handful of people to show up.
8: Instead, they came in droves, mostly people like Bertie Roth.
10: All of us were supposed to be able to be in there all together. To
8: talk about what's going on with the Affordable Care Act.
10: I am going to potentially lose my health insurance. I had, I've had a pre-existing condition. I've had breast cancer. What's gonna happen to me?
9: We were under the understanding it was a town hall meeting
6: and they were only allowing four people in at a time
8: leaving this community with little room.
6: This is what democracy-
8: and rising frustrations. I'm
6: trying to get an answer and I can't even get in.
8: Kaufman's Chief of Staff, Ben Stein, released a statement saying the Congressman routinely holds one-on-one meetings, not town halls. Quote, constituents are invited to meet individually with the Congressman to express their opinions, seek help with a range of issues and discuss legislation. A hundred people could have fit in there easily.
9: And we were told that they only see 10 or 15 people most of the time and not planning for much larger group of constituents is a poor foresight at best. I do
8: and while they were all singing and waiting, police were putting up crime scene tape so Kaufman could leave.
0: Please be There's sure seven, you hear all your constituents. You. Six they are, they are.
8: minutes before the event was supposed to end.
10: We were told at one point everyone would get their time, and then he sneaks out six minutes early. I think he, I think he couldn't handle Vote
11: out!
8: Stein's statement reads, quote, unfortunately, we only reserve the room at the Aurora Central Library for 90 minutes, which is usually plenty of time to see everyone. For those who were unable to see the congressman today, we apologize. All they wanted was a voice. Instead, they got a closed door and a statement.
6: And my
10: spouse who had health insurance passed away. What do I do?
0: You know, what, what am I supposed to do?
2: You're listening to the Bradcast 2017 Inauguration Day special, repurposed for Independence Day 2018. We'll be back. Hey, this is Brad. Remember me, the guy who was warning you about Donald Trump from the day he entered the race, when the rest of the U.S. media were telling you his candidacy was a joke, that he'd never win, and that Hillary Clinton had it in the bag. We told you otherwise from the beginning and up until Election Day. Well, we may have been right, but we still don't have corporate or foundational support. We still rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. Please stop by bradblog.com donate to support the work that Desi Doyen and I do every day. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thank you.
12: But if you close your eyes.
2: does. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. You're listening to our 2017 Inauguration Day special, repurposed for Independence Day 2018.
3: Over the past few weeks, the Senate has been holding hearings on Trump's cabinet nominees, and the hearings have raised important questions about each of them. Uh, For instance, is Rex Tillerson too loyal to oil? Jeff Sessions, is he down with the brown? And will Ben Carson be good for the hood? (laughs) You see, it's because it's hood we're trying to make anyway. Uh, But of all Trump's picks, none seem to be less prepared than the one we saw yesterday. Which brings us to our continuing segment, Profiles in Tremendousness.
8: I have
5: the most dedicated people. I have the best people.
3: Meet Betsy DeVos, Trump's nominee for Secretary of Education. She's a billionaire businesswoman from Michigan. She's a major voice for conservative education reform. And a lot of people don't know this, she's the co-founder of the 90s R&B group, Belle Biv DeVos. Yeah. Uh, Yes, they they had to kick her out because that girl was poison. Uh, But her illustrious history aside, the big question is, is Betsy DeVos qualified to lead the education department? Yesterday, the Senate sat her down to test her on her knowledge of education stuff. And right away, you knew there was going to be a problem when she couldn't answer a simple yes or no question. Do you think that schools that receive K-12 schools that receive government funding should meet the same accountability standards, equal accountability in any K-12 school or educational program that receives federal funding, whether public, public charter or private?
10: I support accountability.
3: Equal accountability for all schools that receive federal funding.
10: I support accountability.
3: Okay, is that a yes or no?
10: That's a, I support accountability. Do you not want
8: to answer my question?
10: I support
3: accountability. Sorry, sorry, ah! I'm sorry. I just, when I watched that, I had a flashback to every single time I called tech support. You know, we just keep the, saying the same thing. And it's just, ah! Accountability, ah! I'm surprised Tim Kaine didn't start screaming, operator, operator! I just want to talk to a human! Now, now the reason Betsy's ducking that question is because she wants to take taxpayer money from public schools and send it to private schools without holding the private schools to the same standards, which means the taxpayer could be paying for schools with less qualified teachers, crappier curricula, weaker testing, and worse chicken nuggets in the cafeteria. Yeah. (laughs) You know that off-brand where every once in a while, you're like, oh, there's a crunch. I don't know why there's a crunchy thing in a nugget. You know those? Now, now, one of Betsy DeVos' main jobs would be to improve student performance. Now, some say you should measure that by what students know, as in proficiency. Others say you should measure it by how much students improve, growth. Uh, Betsy DeVos, she says, well,
13: I would like your your views on uh, the relative advantage of profi- measuring, uh, doing assessments, and using them to measure proficiency or to me- measure growth.
10: If I'm understanding your question correctly, around proficiency, I would I would also um, correlate it to competency and mastery. So that you, each student is measured according to the um, advancement that they're making in each subject area.
0: Well, that's growth. That's, a ma- a- a- that's
13: not proficiency.
10: The proficiency is if they've reached a, a like, third grade level for reading, et cetera.
13: No, it- I'm talking you- about the debate between proficiency and growth. And yeah. I was kind of uh, surprised, well, I'm not that surprised <laughs> that you did not know this issue.
3: I would like to enter that shade into the record. (laughs) Yeah, immediately after he said that, all the other senators were like. So, okay, okay, okay. Uh, So Betsy did not do well on the verbal part of Franken's
13: questioning. Uh, How did she do on the math? You said that uh, student debt has increased by 1,000%? 980% in
10: eight years. I'm sorry? 980 percent
13: that's not that's, that's just not so it's increased 118 percent in the past eight
3: mm. years damn yo can i ask a question why don't they have a fight back in these hearings she should have just been like oh yeah i forgot to carry the one should just do that i mean but here's, here's a question i have how do you put this person in charge of america's education It's like hiring an Amish person to run NASA, you know? All right, let's strap some of the horses to the space shuttle and take it to heaven. I don't even know if that was a good or bad Amish accent. I mean, it's not like they're gonna watch the show and complain, so I mean, I don't know. Did you see what Trevor Noah said? Me neither, so. So one of the hearing's most revealing moments was uh, when Senator Chris Murphy, who represents Newtown, Connecticut, the site of the Sandy Hook shooting, he asked DeVos about
14: guns in school. You can't say definitively today that guns shouldn't be in schools?
10: Well, I I will refer back to uh, Senator Enzi and the school that he was talking about in Wapiti, Wyoming. I think probably there, I I would imagine that there's probably a gun in the school to protect from potential grizzlies.
3: Get the out of here, man. (laughs) Should schools have guns? And you say, yeah, they should have guns because maybe grizzly bears? (laughs) Let me me tell you something, and this is true. We called the school in Wyoming she's talking about, and a bear answered the phone. No, uh, we called the school, we called the school, and they told us that they don't have a gun because they have a fence and bear spray, and that works fine. Like, here's another question. Like, you're trying to justify having guns in school. What do you think there are more of in America? School shootings or school bear attacks, huh? (laughs) In fact, I would argue every school should have a bear to protect them from guns. That's what they should have.
12: (laughs) Ah, 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 ah,
3: ah. So after a day of hearings, we learned Betsy DeVos clearly has no clue about how to run the education department. So uh, the question is, why is she being nominated in the first place?
15: Mrs. Divas, there is a growing fear, I think, in this country that we are moving toward uh, what some would call an oligarchic form of society. Would you be so kind as to tell us uh, how much money your family has contributed to the Republican Party over the years?
10: I wish I could give you that number. I don't
15: know. I have heard the number was 200 million. Does that sound in the ballpark?
10: It, collectively, between yeah, over my the years, entire yes. family? That's, po- that's possible.
15: Do you think if you, a family, has not made hundreds of millions of dollars of contributions to the Republican Party that you would be sitting here today?
3: Bernie! <laughs> Bernie, we miss you, Bernie! Why didn't we listen, it, Bernie? <laughs> oh, Bernie. But he's right. She's gonna get confirmed even though she failed everything. Every subject she got at the hearing, failed, 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 except Donations 101. And that's why I feel like this hearing was a perfect metaphor for the worst of the education system in America. Here's a student who's clearly not proficient in the required subject matter, but because of the system, we know they're still gonna get pushed through.
6: And we've, I've heard a lot this evening about democratic principles um, civic engagement, and I guess I'm wondering, uh, Justice Souter, if you could share with us your thoughts about what the appropriate role and probably responsibility as well of our schools to produce civically engaged students.
14: I'll, I'll start with the bottom line. I don't believe there is, there is any problem of, of, of American politics and American public life Uh, which is more significant today uh, than the pervasive civic ignorance of the Constitution of the United States and the structure uh, of government. Uh, I hope every one of you runs for the legislature. (laughs) Uh, The... I, I, I won't spend a lot of time on statistics. We, we know with pretty reliable evidence that two-thirds of the people in the United States do not know that we have three separate branches of government. Uh, I remember, and I I I could I don't know the name of it, but I can remember hearing about a survey back four or five years ago in which a substantial percentage of Americans believed that the Supreme Court of the United States was a committee of the Congress. Um, it didn't used to be this bad. Uh, when I was in school, we, we had actually, in the course of high school, there were two required civics courses. Uh, when we got out of high school, we may not have known a lot, uh, but we, we at least had a basic understanding of the structure uh, of American government, the structure of state government, for that matter. And what that gave us was not only a kind of a, a, a framework to, to hang the other thing, hang on the, the, the things that we learned later. It gave us a, a basic sense of where responsibility lies for given problems within the government. And a corollary of that was we we certainly understood where responsibility lay uh, in matters that with the business of the legislative branch or the of the Congress of the United states uh, and we knew that we could influence that by voting uh, today that st- i i, I don 't believe there would have been any two thirds ignorance rule uh, back at that time, starting about nineteen seventy uh, the teaching of civics uh went into decline from which it has never significantly recovered. The good news, I know, simply from from what I've learned in New Hampshire is, there are a lot of terrific civics teachers uh, in New Hampshire uh, who are trying to turn that around. Uh, One of their problems is that they don't necessarily have the, the material support to do it very well and the demands on teaching, and this includes the demands that are imposed by the No Child Left Behind rule, Makes it very difficult to find the time for more civics, but the reason I, I, I said that I think it is the most significant problem that we've got uh, is that I think some of the aspects of current American government that that people on both sides find frustrating are in part a uh, a, a function uh, of the inability of people to understand how government can and should function uh, it is it is a product uh, of civic ignorance. What I worry about uh, is uh, is is a remark that Benjamin Franklin made, and uh, susan Susan Leahy quoted Jefferson at the beginning about how uh, an an ignorant people can never remain a free people. Democracy cannot survive too much ignorance. Franklin, uh, in effect, had uh, had a comment to which the Jefferson comment is a kind of an answer or a response. And I, you probably have heard this, but it bears repeating. Uh, Franklin was asked by someone, I think, on the streets of Philadelphia shortly after the 1787 convention adjourned, what kind of government the Constitution would give us if it was adopted. And Franklin's famous answer was, Uh, a republic if you can keep it. You can't keep it in ignorance. I don't worry about our losing Republican government in the United States because I'm afraid of a foreign invasion. I don't worry about it because I think there is going to be a coup by the military, as has happened in some other places. What I worry about is that when problems are not addressed, people will not know who is responsible. And when the problems get bad enough, as they might do, for example, with another serious terrorist attack, as they might do with another financial meltdown, some one person will come forward and say, give me total power and I will solve this problem. That is how the Roman Republic fell. Augustus became emperor not because he arrested the Roman Senate. He became emperor because he promised that he would solve problems that were not being solved. If we know who is responsible, I have enough faith in the American people uh, to demand performance from those responsible. If we don't know, We will stay away from the polls. We will not demand it. And the day will come when somebody will come forward and we and the government will in effect say, take the ball and run with it. Do what you have to do. Uh, That is the way democracy dies. And if something is not done to improve the level of civic knowledge, that is what you should worry about at night. So, to end where I began, uh, the, the support of civic education in the United States, including in this state, uh, is, is a public problem and a public responsibility, which is second to none. Do you believe
15: that climate change is caused by carbon emissions by human
9: activity? Uh, climate. the climate is changing, and that human activity contributes to that in some manner.
15: In some manner? Yes, sir. 97% of the scientists believe that human activity is the fundamental reason we are seeing climate change. You disagree with that? I, I believe the ability to measure with precision
9: the degree of human activity's impact on the climate is subject to more debate on whether uh, the
15: climate is changing or whether human activity contributes to it. Overwhelming majority of scientists say we have... Act- got to act boldly and you're telling me that there needs to be more debate on this issue and that we should not be acting boldly. No, Senator, as I've indicated, uh, the,
9: climate, the climate is changing and human activity But you haven't told me why,
15: why you think the climate is changing.
9: Well, Senator, the job of the administrator is to carry out the statutes as passed by this body. And to why is the, the climate changing? Senator, in response to the CO2 issue, uh, the EPA administrator is constrained by statutes. I'm, not, I'm asking your personal opinion. My my personal opinion is, is immaterial to the, oh, really to, to the job of to the job of. You are going to be
15: the head of the agency to protect the environment, and your personal feelings about whether climate change is caused by human activity and carbon emissions is immaterial? Senator, I've acknowledged to you that the
9: human activity impacts
15: the- carbon. Impacts? Yes. The scientific community doesn't tell us it impacts. They say it is the cause of climate change. We have to transform our energy system. Do you believe we have to transform our energy system in order to protect the planet for future generations? I believe the
9: EPA has a very important role at, at regulating the emissions You didn't answer my question. Do you believe we have to transform our energy system away from fossil fuel? Senator, I believe that the administrator has a very important role to perform in regulating CO2.
11: Despite the deniers, uh, climate is changing. The temperatures are rising. The oceans are becoming more acidified. Habitats are under stress. The world is really facing this tremendous danger, and it's not about this or that politician. We're facing big oil. We're facing big financial structures that are at odds with the survivability of our world. It'll be up to you as truth-tellers, truth-seekers, to mobilize all your efforts to fight back. And in California, we got plenty of lawyers. (laughs) So we got the scientists, we got the lawyers, and we're ready to fight. We're ready to defend. And California is no stranger to this fight. For a a long time, we've been fighting efforts to reduce vehicle emissions, to improve our environment the California vehicle emission standards became the national standards. California drove the United States. So a lot of people say, what the hell are you doing, Brown? You're not a country. Well, <laughs> judged by measures of gross domestic product of over 2200000000000 trillion, we're the fifth or sixth largest economy in the world. And we got a lot of firepower. We got the scientists, we got the universities, we have the national labs, and we have the political clout and sophistication for the battle. And we will persevere, have no doubt about that. We have the laws, we have the tools of enforcement, and we have the political will. And we will set the stage, we'll set the example, and whatever Washington thinks they're doing, California is the future. We still are the new frontier and we're pioneering space, we're pioneering honest science, and we're pioneering a politics that is committed to equality and sustainable, uh, sustainability and inclusivity. We will not stand back. We will unite with those 200 states and provinces and countries, with Canada, with China. We will pursue a path of collaboration and bold political advancement, whatever they do in Washington, and eventually the truth will prevail. Some people say that they're gonna turn off the satellites that are monitoring the uh, climate. And if Trump turns off the satellites, California will launch its own damn satellite. We're gonna collect that data. We're not gonna have political interference. We're gonna have honest, independent science. You can count on that. By the way, if they start deleting databases, look, we got a lot of databases in California, we can take a few more. So this is not a battle of one day or one election. This is a long-term slog into the future. And you are there, the foot soldiers of change and understanding and scientific collaboration. It uh, takes s- strong changes in business. It has tremendous political obstacles. not easy. But well, we've proved in California that the economy grows. And it grows in part because of the climate rules that we've adopted. Now, I remember our new Secretary of Energy, he was coming to California and say, "Uh, come to Texas, because we have all the jobs in Texas. Well, Rick, I got some news for you. California is growing a hell of a lot faster than Texas, and we got more sun than you have oil. (laughs) And we're gonna use it. We're ready to ride the backlash back to sanity, sustainability, and truth. And together, we're gonna to make sure that California, as many states who wants to join other countries, and ultimately Washington itself will be together as we combat climate change now and into the future. You can't keep fighting reality. Fights are fun, and this is fight is big, and I would say there's a lot smarter people in this room than there are in the climate denial community, so. I have great confidence. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you, Governor. You're listening to the Bradcast 2017 Inauguration Day special. And yet, here we are, Independence Day 2018. We'll be back.
10: And thanks.
9: Well, if you want to sing out, sing out. And if you want to be free, be free. Because there's a million things to be. You know that there are.
2: Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Desi Doyen and I are away for a few days over the 2018 Independence Day week. But we will be back soon. Until then, please continue enjoying our 2017 Inauguration Day
15: special. Would you be able to become president today? Absolutely not. There's no way now for you to get the Democratic or Republican nomination without being able to raise two or three hundred million dollars or more. And I would not be inclined to do that and I would not be capable of doing it. So that's, we've become now an oligarchy instead of a democracy. And I think that's been the worst uh, damage to the basic moral and ethical standards of American political system that I've ever seen in my life. And when you get to the Washington, you've already alienated. Democrats from Republicans, and Congress from the President. And we have red states and blue states. We never had any of that Mm -hmm. 25 or 30 years ago.
4: Our democracy is threatened whenever we take it for granted. All of us, regardless of party, should be throwing ourselves into the task of rebuilding our democratic institutions. When voting rates in America are some of the lowest among advanced democracies, we should be making it easier, not harder, to vote. When, when trust in our institutions is low, we should reduce the corrosive influence of money in our politics and insist on the principles of transparency and ethics in public service. When Congress is dysfunctional, we should draw our congressional districts to encourage politicians to cater to common sense and not rigid extremes. But remember, none of this happens on its own. All of this depends on our participation, on each of us accepting the responsibility of citizenship, regardless of which way the pendulum of power happens to be swinging. Our Constitution is a remarkable, beautiful gift, but it's really just a piece of parchment. It has no power on its own. We the people give it power. We the people give it meaning with our participation and with the choices that we make, and the alliances that we forge, whether or not we stand up for our freedoms, whether or not we respect and enforce the rule of law. That's up to us. That's what our democracy demands. It needs you. Not just when there's an election, not just when your own narrow interest is at stake, but over the full span of a lifetime. If you're tired of arguing with strangers on the Internet, try talking with one of them in real life. If something needs fixing, then lace up your shoes and do some organizing. If you're disappointed by your elected officials, grab a clipboard, get some signatures, and run for office yourself. Show up. Dive in. Stay at it. Sometimes you'll win. I do have one final ask of you as your president, the same thing I asked when you took a chance on me eight years ago. I am asking you to believe, not in my ability to bring about change, but in yours. I am asking you to hold fast to that faith written into our founding documents, that idea whispered by slaves and abolitionists, that spirit sung by immigrants and homesteaders and those who marched for justice, that creed reaffirmed by those who planted flags from foreign battlefields to the surface of the moon, a creed at the core of every American whose story is not yet written. Yes, we can. Yes, we did. Yes, we can. Thank you. God bless you. May God continue to bless the United States of America.
12: (laughs) Finally, new rules since this year's presidential race features both an unabashed socialist and a bona fide capitalist pig. (laughs) Someone needs to explain to the free market solves everything crowd that when it comes to socialism, you're soaking in it. Marco Rubio says, if you want to live in a socialist country, why not move to a socialist country? Oh, you mean like Florida, where everyone's on Social Security? (laughs) Yes, so many Americans hate the word socialism, but love the concept. Medicare, unemployment, disability, farm subsidies. Forget the transgender debate. What America really needs is a separate bathroom for welfare queens. (laughs) You know, back in February, when democracy was still serious and Trump was still a joke, (laughs) 66% of young people told pollsters that corporate America, quote, embodies everything that is wrong with America. And what side you're on in that debate is all about your generation. Older Americans are more religious. And America's real religion is capitalism. And like any religion, it needs a devil. And that devil has always been socialism. In 1961, Ronald Reagan said if we passed Medicare, we'd wind up telling our children what it was once was like in America when men were free. Thanks, Nostra dumbass. Republicans always think if you allow a little socialism, it'll spread out of control, but actually it's the opposite. It's capitalism that we've let spread out of control. It's... (laughs) It's eaten our democracy. It's eating our middle class. It's eaten our healthcare system, our prison system, our news media. It's even eaten our food system so thoroughly that a lot of our food is no longer something that should be eaten. Because because capitalism is a shark or a tidal wave or pond scum or whatever metaphor you like to describe an unthinking force that devours everything in its path. And now the latest thing it is scarfing down is our national parks. The government just announced they would be selling naming rights at the parks like we do at sports stadiums. Because the parks are $11 billion in debt, and since capitalism solves everything, cue corporate America, who's always asking one simple question, how can we help? (laughs) Nothing in it for us, we just want to lend a hand. Like when Bill Cosby offers to help you with your modeling (laughs) career. (laughs) when you're handing over national parks to corporations, when the price of a life-saving drug goes up 5,000% overnight, when our elections are being bought by the evil puppet from the Saw movies, (laughs) it's time to realize we're better off if there are a few things that free market profiteers can't get their cloven hooves on. On the same day I read about the $11 billion the parks need, there was also this headline, $40 billion Air Force tanker program delayed. Because that's the problem with the Grand Canyon. It doesn't make Boeing rich. It just sits there, stupid canyon. (laughs) I'm not arguing against the free market, just not for everything. It's funny, older people think socialism is capitalism's enemy, and younger people think it's capitalism's replacement, but they're both wrong. What socialism is, is capitalism's lap band, something to prevent it from eating everything. Thanks for listening
2: to our repurposed 2017 Inauguration Day special repackaged for Independence Day 2018. My thanks to our producer Desi Doyan and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com or your favorite podcast site. You can drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com on the Facebooks and the Twitters. I am the Brad Blog, and my thanks to all of you who have supported our work over the years and who do so now by stopping by Bradblog.com slash donate. That's Bradblog.com slash donate. We couldn't stay on your public airwaves without your help. We'll be gone for a few more days. We'll see you after the holiday weekend. Until then, stay safe, stay cool. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.